Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you know who you are, if you know what you're passionate about, and you know what you're good at, and you can apply that to yourself or to your business. I mean, that, that works well for your business, that works well for yourself. And if if you live your life with those three, imagine those are three circles and they intersect. So if you live your life with clear answers to those three questions, I guarantee you will be successful and you'll be happy. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. Our guest today is Tom Caresti. Tom is a leadership expert and refers to himself as a servant leader. He's passionate about adding value to individuals and organizations while helping them improve their products and company culture. Tom's book is called C-Suite and Beyond, The Four Keys to Leadership Success. In the book, Tom shares a collection of personal and business stories. He illustrates his best and worst moments in a fun yet educational way. Tom believes that everyone's good at something. And once you figure out your strengths, you'll be a lot more happy and successful. In this episode, we're going to talk about how to turn your passion into your career and play to your strengths. Why you need to design your company culture consciously. The three phases of leadership. And lastly, what it means to grow in your strength zone. Let's get the show started and talk with Tom. Hey, Tom, thanks for being on the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How are you doing today? Super duper. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. I'm excited about the topic. We're going to be talking about leadership. This is definitely an area of expertise for you. I'd love to start out with, what are you doing now? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Every person should be able to answer these three questions. So let me share uh, the answers to these three questions for myself, and that will kind of shed a light on you know, what I'm about, but every person should know who they are and that I'm a servant leader and every person should be passionate about something. And what am I passionate about? I'm passionate about adding value to people, to organizations, to companies, making them better, making products better, making companies better. And then every person should know what they're good at. And I'm pretty good at mentoring and leading. So the beauty of those three answers is you can take that anywhere in your life. I can mentor my employees I can add value to my customers and I can lead my organization or I can lead my family. I can mentor my kids. So I don't have to reinvent myself Uh, every time I'm in a different situation. I just use that formula and and that's been pretty good. And by the way, I did not figure that out until, you know, I, I didn't know when I was 18 who I was or what I was passionate about, but it takes some time to figure it out. 
Well, it's funny you should say that because that was kind of one of my questions. It's not something you wake up and you become that. Can you take us through that journey a little bit of how you got to today and some of the growing pains along that? I think it'll help the audience kind of maybe people that don't perceive them to be lead themselves as leaders today. I know I definitely have my own journey. What, what did that look like for you? When did you get to the point where you go, hey, I'm now a great leader? Well, look, let's take the first uh, thing, which is who am I? I'm a servant leader. I was a very selfish leader early early on in my life, right? I thought it was all about me. And then it wasn't until early 1991, 1992, where I realized, look, it's, it's not about me because if I always make it about me, I'm shortchanging myself and I'm shortchanging everything that I'm trying to do. It's about something much bigger than me. And uh, once you realize that, then you can begin to put our servant's cap on. My easiest job in my life was when I was a CEO. And everybody thinks, oh my goodness, like CEOs is, that's the top of the food chain. That's very difficult. But look, as a CEO, your only or your biggest uh, task is to create an environment for success for your organization. So what does that mean? That means, you know, make sure everybody understands what the culture and the vision of the organization is, making sure that they understand their portion on how to deliver on that, and then really equipping them, whether physical assets, training, whatever, for them to be successful and and just being there to support them throughout the way to make sure that they are successful and their success results in your success. Yeah. So why do you think it is a lot of my clients, most of them in the audience are business owners, entrepreneurs, probably under 10 million in revenue, 10 to 50 employees. They all seem to struggle or many do retaining people, hiring really high caliber people, Having this culture, a lot of times there's a misinterpretation of culture of what that all means. Why do you think that is? I mean, where, do you have any thoughts on that? Like why there's this seems to be a theme of this challenge for business owners in particular? When, when I used to work for Fortune 100 companies, uh-huh. I would have guys with uh, Harvard MBAs or you know really high degrees dying to work for those companies because those companies were a great brand. And I, I remember... My friend, uh, Andrew from Citibank said, hey, Tom, can you uh, just spend maybe a half hour with uh, a bunch of uh, MBA students? I, I just spent some time with them. And, and can you spend some time with them as well? And so here comes in my office uh, with Andrew, about 12 Oxford executive MBA students wanting to hear what I had to say. And, and uh, at that time, I was working in Eastern Europe. So Eastern Europe was a pretty hot button in the early 90s. But the reason they did that, because I worked for a great Fortune 100 company. It wasn't so much about who Tom is. but And then when you become a small business owner, you know, I remember when I opened my first business and I came from a large organization, large corporation, where it was a very strong brand. And I would get those type of individuals to interview and work for me. And then I started my own company and everybody said, like, well, who the hell is Tom and why should I work for him? Right, right. <laughs> right. So then it becomes about you and it, it becomes about you and people buying into you. And that's why those three questions becomes extremely important, because people will not buy into you if you don't have a strong identity, if you don't know what you're about, if you don't. And, and especially in a small organization, the organizational culture really is your character as a starter founder. You know, you founded the company, you started the company, you hired one employee and two employees and three employees. And, and you really, your character defines what the culture of that organization is because you're the head of that organization. And if people don't buy into you and they don't buy into your character and they don't buy into what you're doing, then they will come and leave. Mm-hmm. If they buy into you personally, 
you know, and that's why small companies should be run like a family atmosphere because, hey, you know, your family tends to stick around. They tend to believe in you. Not, not, not all families. But <laughs> right, right. But that's kind of the idea is, is as a small organization, it's extremely important for you to know who you are so people can buy into you. Yeah. You know, in your book, uh, C-Suite and Beyond, good book, by the way, really good book. I enjoyed it. One of the themes of your book was really about leadership caring about its people. And this is something that I don't think is inherent, especially younger in your stages of leadership, or at least it wasn't to me. I had to have a mentor take me aside and say, hey, dude, it's not what you're saying. It's how you're making people feel. And you know, I was hard-headed. And when I heard it, I, I of course, didn't like it didn't sink in until one day I said, you know, it is interesting. I care about my clients as if they're family, but I'm not treating the people that actually support me and help my life become so much better in that same way. And when it clicked for me, it was like, just like everything changed in terms of how people, you know, the whole relationships with my, the people that worked with me. And why is that? I mean, like, why do we not see that inherently? And it's like, we have to almost go through the school of hard knocks. Cause I think even you, you said you started out, it was really more about you. What is it because there's a lack of proper training or what, what's your feedback on that? Uh, selfishness. Self- <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Look, yeah. here's the thing. You know, if you look at every president of the United States, they're narcissistic personalities. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of narcissism in leadership. You know, people uh, have a tendency to become leaders and rise to leadership roles. Maybe they're not great leaders, but they rise to those leadership roles. And it becomes narcissistic in the sense that they think they achieved that. They think it was all about them. Everything that they did got them where they, they are. And that is partially true, but that is not at all true. And if you realize that the reason you are there is not because of yourself, but because of a team of individuals or a group of, of people that supported you, then, then I think the light starts going on to say, look, this is not about me. This is about a, uh, and look, we're pack animals. I mean, you know, if, if you define human beings, we are never designed to be alone. We're, we're pack animals, right? Just like, you know, dogs or, or, or other animals. And I don't mean to uh, diminish human nature, but that's how we are. You know, you quoted John Maxwell. John's one of John's favorite quote is greatness is too small to achieve by uh, just by one. So one is, you know, too small of a number to achieve greatness, I think is the exact quote. And, and some people think one is, you know, what gave him, you know, got him greatness, but that's not true. Right. And speaking of John Maxwell in the book, I, I love this quote. You quote John Maxwell and you say, culture eats a vision for lunch. I love that. Can you talk about that and what your thoughts, especially like in small businesses? I think there's a miscommunication on what they think culture is. I'd love to just hear your thoughts. Well, we talked about a person's character. Culture is just the character of an organization. So character and culture is the same thing. Character goes for an individual. Culture goes for an organization. Culture. So, okay. If you Start with a person's character. How do you come up with your character? Well, it's, it's based on your values, right? My, my values are honesty. My values are, are conditional love. So you have a couple of maybe four or five core values that determine what your character is going to be like. The same thing with an organization culture. Now you have four or five, what we call shared values. You know, the, the organization agrees that these are shared values that we're going to have, whether that may be entrepreneurship, whether that may be honesty, whether that may be integrity, maybe, you know, maybe giving back to the community. I mean, whatever those values are, 
that's going to determine the culture or the organization. And, you know, vision is something that is very long-term. Dave Martin said it the best, you know, do you have a cathedral vision for your organization? And by cathedral vision, I think it's a great, it's a great descriptor because when the cathedrals were built, you know, whether in Europe or any part of the world, you know, it was a 100, 200 year ordeal. So the guy that designed that cathedral would never get to see the end. So do you have a cathedral vision for your organization? And that is important. But if, if you don't have a culture that just people together, then how will you ever achieve that vision? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. What do you think, like, what are some steps? So does it start with a vision statement? If someone's trying to design their culture and make sure their organizational values or culture is aligned with their personal values, does it start with vision? How does someone start with improving their culture and having a better culture? Well, culture, I think you have to have an awareness that you need one. What I say all the time is whether you are aware and design a culture or not, you will have one right? because people are going to do, you know, what they think they should do. And by the way, culture is not a post on the wall. Culture is a, it's a great tool that anyone in the organization, I don't care if you're the janitor or the CEO, if you share that common culture, which is based on common values, you should be able to walk into the CEO's office and say, Hey, Tom, you know, what you just did does not reflect our values and culture, right? Because it's not a personal attack on Tom. It's, it's basically, look, we agreed on these shared values. We agreed on the culture, how we're going to conduct ourselves as an organization. And you didn't abide by that. So what gives? Do we have a culture or don't we have a culture? And if you don't consciously, uh, and your culture is your DNA of your organization. Uh, and if you don't consciously live that culture, you will have a culture that will you know find its ways in, into your organization. And you may not like it. You know, you may not like it because it's not a culture that you believe in or it's not what you want. And maybe it's it's a toxic culture to your organization, but uh, you only have yourself to blame because unless you pay attention to it and groom it and having it really become your DNA of your organization, then um, then you got a problem. Right, right. And I love how you brought up that example of like taking that person aside in a meeting or in a one-on-one meeting and saying, hey, this isn't part of our culture that conversation itself is part of the culture that you're trying to attain. And I think that's where a lot of times things get glossed over is you don't have that conversation, especially in a small business environment. Uh, It's hard to do or it's awkward or it's uncomfortable, but that's what actually starts to define that culture is that follow-up and that clarity. Yeah, especially in large organizations, we are are so hung up on the annual performance review, you know? So, you know, there's this one moment in time once a year, which lasts for 20 minutes or a half hour, where you're supposed to figure out what you're doing right or what you're doing wrong. You know, if you have an open culture, that's an ongoing dialogue, you know, 365 days a year, 24, you know, seven. It's just an ongoing dialogue to say, hey, you know, we could be doing this better. We could be doing that better, or you're doing a great job, or, you know, it's just an open communication. Right, right. In your book, you talk about growing in your strength zone. I just found it really interesting. Could you talk about what that means and how someone does that? Well, again, you have to recognize what you're passionate about and what you're good at. I have a little gory story to share with you. Please. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I don't know if your audience is going to, you know, how, how they're going to react to it, but. Back in 1991, I was assigned uh, to become general manager for Colgate Pomalov in Hungary. And I was born in Budapest, Hungary. So I'm natured by Hungarian. So all my relatives, my cousins, my uncles, they were like, oh, the prodigal son is coming home. And I was like, 
And in Eastern Europe, it's fairly common for people to slaughter pigs. Pig is a fairly easy animal to, uh, you know, pork is easy to raise. So they do it in the winter months, January, February, when it's cold, because you don't have to worry about refrigeration. And, and they literally slaughter pigs in, in the backyards, right? So in my honor, they're, they're slaughtering a pig. So background story to this, I grew up as a kid because the first 12 years of my life, I, I lived in Hungary. And in the summers, I would go down to my uncle's farm. And I never had a lot of respect for my uncle because he would mumble, he would curse, he would smoke these non-filtered cigarettes. And I just thought he was a bumbling idiot, right? I mean, I just didn't have a lot of respect for him. So here I am, you know, the executive of, uh, you know, Colgate Pomalev and I'm coming down to the farm and we get there about seven o'clock in the morning. And by 7 a.m., we find out that my uncle has already, you know, dissected, you know, one animal. So he's now he's going to the second animal and they will have this, this pig, which is about, you know, 300 kilos, which is close to, you know, 550 pounds. So it's, wow. it's a pretty sizable animal. Yeah. And within two hours, my uncle alone with a single, very sharp knife has this, you know, pig totally dissected and whatever's left over, you can put in a small little paper bag. Everything is processed. Wow. And during the course of the, uh, the process, which is about two and a half hours, you know, my cousins would, uh, his kids would kind of, you know, jump in and do this. And he didn't have to say anything. The kid's doing exactly what to do. And it was like an assembly line. And my uncle raised about, you know, 20, you know, steps in, in my eyes because he went from a bumbling idiot to, to a, a master when it came to leading a team of processing an animal. And that was his strength zone. That was his passion. That's, you know, he loved doing that. And it, by the time, like I, like I said, by the time I got there at seven o'clock, he's already done it once. Now he's on to his second. And he's got a team around him, his kids who are so well-trained and it's such a well-oiled machine that everyone knows what to do at any given time. And then at the end of two and a half hours, you got, you know, the sausages in the smokehouse and the ham is curing. And it's like, it's just an unbelievable process to me. So everybody has something they're good at. And it's just really finding out what your passion is and what you're good at, which is those two out of the three questions that I started off with. And if you can work in that and people can see you uh, thrive in that, they will have a lot of respect for you because you're good at it and you love doing it. Unfortunate thing is a lot of us are doing things that uh, either we're not good at or we're not passionate about. You know, you, you go to a nine to five job, you may be good at it, but you hate it. Right. Right. So find, you know, life is too short. Find something that you're passionate about, something, you know, find something that you love and find something that you're good at. If you're a business owner feeling stuck in your business, overwhelmed, responsible for everything that happens, and working long hours, Tyler helps his clients develop processes, hire high-performing team members, and better understand their financial metrics and numbers to allow for a more predictable, less hands-on business. To schedule a free, no-pressure consultation, head to thinktyler.com and click the meeting button. Tyler would love to see if he can help you work on your business, not in your business. Schedule a consultation today at thinktyler.com. Think life, think success, think business. So find, you know, life is too short. Find something that you're passionate about, something, you know, find something that you love and find something that you're good at. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of being a better leader, I know you said the three questions. What would you say, like if someone said, hey, I want to become a better leader, what would be their steps or what are things they should do that could improve their leadership? Is it, Would you say starting with caring or where would you go with that? I would say start with yourself. Okay. Before you could be the, the three phases of leadership is the first 
phase of leadership is understanding how to lead yourself. Mm. Uh, the second phase of leadership is understanding how to lead others. And then the third phase of leadership is really developing future leaders. I was talking to a young lady a while back and she said, you know, Tom, I know exactly what you're talking about. I was working for this company and we had a great team. It was, a, I think, a pool maintenance company or something or a pool manufacturing company. And that department, the woman was running it. She was absolutely fantastic. And we were really producing well and everybody got along real well. And then she left and then another person came and that didn't work too well. Another person came that didn't work too well. And that kind of team kind of just fell apart. So, you know, she was really such a great leader and I know exactly what you're talking about. And I said to her, look, I think, I think you're wrong. I think that woman was at level two. She was never at level. She never got to level three because she developed great followers. But has she done? Has she been really a good leader? Then she would have developed future leaders. So when she took herself out of that situation, or she left, or she was fired, whatever the situation was, there should have been somebody in that organization that was ready to step in and and lead that organization. So she would have taken the time to develop future leaders, which she didn't, right? Because when she kind of left, everything fell apart. So. If you want to be a great leader, again, it's not about you. It's about somebody else. Uh, but start with yourself. See if you can lead yourself, which is not so easy. Developing uh, followers is not that difficult, right? The most difficult part of leadership is being okay with somebody that works for you that you will eventually work for, right? So develop future leaders. And look, some people have an issue with that. Some people are afraid to hire really good employees because they feel threatened by them, right? I Never had that. I said, look, you know, I'm, I have certain capabilities. I have certain competencies. And, and if there's an individual in my organization that is better than me, God bless him, man. You know, I'll work for them because they're doing a better job than me. Why should I be afraid of that? Right, right. Yeah, I think to some degree, the mindset should almost be, if I'm doing my job perfectly, I'm not needed to some degree, or I'm doing, there's now another level up I should be handling. And what I'm doing day to day the rest of my team should handle. I think it's kind of that mindset, right? Like almost yeah. someone should be able to step right in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good one. Hey, in your book, you you mentioned some other books that you really enjoy. Is there any one that stands out or one perhaps even that you're reading right now that you really enjoy that you could share? Obviously, I'm a big fan of John Maxwell. So every time yeah. he puts out a book out, I read all his books. Uh, Simon Sinek is a great guy. He's He's got... Uh, a couple of books out that are are very good, uh, so I follow him. You know, one of my favorite books that I read back in 2001 was uh, maybe 2002 was uh, Rudy Giuliani's uh, book when he was mayor in New York City after 9/11. So the nice things about books is you could be actually mentored by somebody without ever meeting that person. You know, I mean, I read Jack Welch's books, and I I never met Jack Welch, but you know, one of his books, Straight from the Gut, and right? it's just a uh, a great leadership book. And uh, I never met Jack, but it did a lot for my career just listening to him. You know, John Maxwell, uh, again, great. So I don't really have one particular book that I could say, okay, you must read this book. If you like John Maxwell, then read the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Right? That's, that's kind of Leadership 101. So yeah, there's a lot of great books out there. Just read one. Yeah. One thing I like you did in your book, you did a really nice job of weaving principles and your stories weaving in and out of that really well. It was nice transition points. You kind of had a, another thing you talked about, I really loved is you said, uh, you know, we all, our own stories are the ones that kind of have the impact things that we've actually done as opposed to 
a lot of times people are telling stories through other people's actual experiences. And you really kind of, somewhere in the book, I don't remember exactly where, but you talked about just that when it's our actual story, it has a lot more impact. It's something, it's part of who we are in terms of our learning curve. Look, it's it's your journey, it's your life. Right. And if you have trouble with that, I uh, suggest go to Ireland for a week or, or two weeks. <laughs> the Irish are, uh, I hate stereotyping, but you go to Ireland and, and Ireland is a wonderful country besides being green and, and luscious and Guinness doesn't taste anywhere like it, it tastes in Ireland. I mean, Guinness is just delicious in Ireland, but in Ireland, everybody talks to you. You know, you can't sit in a pub, you can't sit in a restaurant, you can't even walk down the street without somebody talking to you. And they don't talk to you about the weather or other stuff. They, they actually, you know, share their stories. You know, um, Kathy and I were in Ireland and we were waiting for the ferry to take us over to uh, the north side. And uh, we kind of drove all the perimeter of Ireland. And so waiting for the ferry it was about 20 minutes before the ferry got there. And this gentleman walks up to us walking his dog and he spent 20 minutes talking to us while the ferry arrived about why, you know, where he grew up and, you know, that was the house and where his kids are and with his mother-in-law. And I mean, he's telling us this whole life story. Never met the man in my life, but that's the way the Irish are. They're just very warm. And that's how people communicate. People communicate through stories. It's just a much easier way because look, your stories, you know, they're your stories. You're not going to get them wrong. You know how to apply them. So, and everybody's got stories. It's just, you know, what works in that particular situation. And and that's how we've been communicating for centuries. Right. I loved your story about how you were at a diner and um, you were on your Harley and there were two other gentlemen <laughs> on their Harleys. I mean, I, I put myself in this picture and I'm like, I'm not sure I could have done that. You, you <laughs> overheard them talking about they were going to go to Santa Cruz. This is in the Bay Area. And you, you said, hey, do you mind if I tag along? And just by doing that, you created these lifelong friendships and you guys were able to, it sounded like, enjoy a lot of Saturday trips of just enjoying life and making new stories. That was a really cool story. I mean, it really resonated with me. I got to be honest, part of me was like, I'm not sure if I could do that if I was in that same diner, but it was cool. And I guess that's kind of your take from Ireland. It sounds like a lot of people are that way in Ireland. That's like commonplace. Yeah, look, you know, people are people. And uh, look, you you meet some idiots every once in a while, but for the most part, you know, you approach people positively. They respond positively. Yeah. So... And I, these two guys, I was new to the Bay Area. I never met him before. And so these two guys were talking and, and we've been best of friends ever since. I mean, one of the stories I uh, I talk about in the in the book is to really connect with somebody and connecting with individuals is very important. But to really connect with somebody, do something for them that they can't do for themselves. Mm. And speaking of motorcycles, I was in a bad wreck in, in 2009. So you know, I had broken bones and a couple of surgeries and I was laying in a hospital and, and Dave, which is one of my friends that I met that first time on that holiday ride, was in the hospital and, you know, the food came in and I just didn't feel like eating. You know, I, I was drugged up and, and and Dave said, no, you got to eat. So he just kind of took a spoon out with the, you know, with the soup and started, you know, spoon feeding me like, a, you know, a little infant, like a little baby. Wow. But I, you know, it, it's one of those things that bonded us because, uh, you know, A, we we rode a lot of years together on Harleys and B, I was in a bad situation and I couldn't have helped myself, but he helped me. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a powerful story. So last question for you. Is there something you can give us uh, a life tip or a business tip that we could apply just as a, as a closing note here? I'll close with what I opened. You know, <laughs> if you know who you are, if you know what you're passionate about and you know what you're good at 
And you can apply that to yourself or to your business. I mean, that, that works well for your business. That works well for yourself. Yeah. And if, if you live your life with those three, imagine those are three circles and they intersect. So if you live your life with clear answers to those three questions, I guarantee you will be successful and you'll be happy. Right yeah. Now, if you can actually find the market to buy that product, you'll also be rich. <laughs> Good combo. Hey, Tom, I'll put this in the show notes. Your website is leadership disciples.com leadership disciples.com i believe you have a free book on there is that correct absolutely if you just go to uh that website and you do that website backslash uh free pdf then you can download that book for free oh yeah you know it's actually free hyphen pdf is that correct right right okay yeah so leadership disciples.com slash free hyphen PDF. There's a book on there. Check it out on leadership. Uh, Tom's book is is excellent too. So check that out. I'll put it in the show notes. Tom, love talking with you. You got a lot of great stories. I hope people check out your book because it, it's kind of an extension of this conversation. All right. Thanks again. And uh, I hope if, if your audience just got one or two nuggets, then it was time well spent. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Have a good weekend. All right. Bye-bye. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of Her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Electric acid.